All right. So as we close out this series on biblical leadership tonight, uh, our focus is going to be on offices and positions of leadership. Now, if you'll remember, I've said this all along. God created us in His image. And God breathed life into us. But God also gave us the capacity to do incredible works. To do incredible works in kingdom ministry. Each and every one of us. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we've repented of our sin, and we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God has called us to participate in what He's doing. Not to sit around and watch, but to actively be involved in what He's doing. Every one of us, we have what I call the capacity of leadership in us. Now, whether that is a position or an office of leadership, or whether that is just acts of leadership, uh, again, it's powerful, and it's purposeful, and it's meaningful in kingdom ministry. And so everything we've covered so far uh, in this series really applies to who I'm going to be talking about tonight. Pastors, deacons, and teachers. And I want to share with you two truths, right? Two truths that permeate um, through the leadership of the church into the membership of the church. So these are two truths for all of us. Whether you have a position of leadership or not, all of this is true for us. Two truths. Here we go. Number one, biblical leadership is always about glorifying God. It will always be about glorifying God. If you think you're a biblical leader and you're not glorifying God, guess what? You're not a biblical leader. <laughs> because biblical leadership always, always puts the focus, puts the credit, puts the glory on God. Biblical leadership is always about glorifying God. And therefore, biblical leaders in the church are loving servants. Biblical leaders in the church are loving servants. So think about that for just a minute. The leaders are servants. Right? That doesn't make sense in our world. Right? That doesn't make sense. The leaders appoint people to serve in our world. But in the Bible, you know, it, it, the Bible's got it right. The world's got it wrong. Biblical leaders are servants. They are loving servants. I, I love theologian Howard Snyder. I was reading some of his works, and this is pretty powerful. Listen to what he said. If the pastor is a superstar, then the church is simply an audience and not a body. Think about that for a minute. If the pastor is a superstar, then the church is merely an audience and not a body. See, if the pastor is a superstar, then the church is just watching. That's all they're doing. They're being entertained. Right? You don't want your pastor to be a superstar. You want your pastor to be a servant leader. That's what you want. And I pray that's who I am and who I'm becoming, and I pray I get better at it every day. But you don't want your pastor to be a superstar. You want your pastor to be a servant leader. You don't want to come to church for entertainment. You don't want to come to church to just sit around and watch. You don't want that. I'm telling you, you don't want that. And I'm going to tell you something else. Your community doesn't need that. Your community does not need that. And so God, I love this, God has invited us. This is again, this is uh, Howard Snyder. He says God has invited us and in fact called us as participants in kingdom ministry and not just as spectators. So he said the same thing, right? We have not been called into God's family to sit around and watch what's going on. We've been called into God's family to be a part of what's going on. To, to be vessels of God's grace, His love, and His mercy. And so when the church is an audience, it sits around. When the church is truly the body of Christ, it is moving. It is actively participating, each part doing its work. So tonight what I want to do, I want to start off with a couple of passages. And yes, I'm talking about pastors. And yes, I'm talking about deacons. And yes, I'm talking about teachers. But really and truly, when you look at these passages... It's any type of church leadership, okay? And it's a passage I've already covered, but I want to cover it again because it's that important. Look at it with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Listen to what Paul says. He says, So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers 
Why did He give them? Verse 12. To equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So let me tell you about church leadership. This is so important. Equipping people to serve. Equipping people to serve in kingdom ministry is the work of leadership in the church. If you're a pastor, if you're a deacon, if you're a teacher, if you're a ministry team leader, this, this is about you. Your position of leadership and for deacons and pastors, your offices of leadership, this is what it's all about. Equipping the body of Christ to serve in kingdom ministry. That's what the Scripture says. As the church body embraces evangelism, which is reaching the lost, it must also embrace discipleship, which is equipping, teaching, so that the church can be successful in ministry. What is ministry? Ministry is meeting the needs of others. That's what ministry is. You're going to hear me say this a lot. Um, I would say at least in the next year, but probably from now on moving forward until God tells me to say something else. You're going to hear me use these three words over and over and over again. Evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. Evangelism, discipleship, and ministry because that's what it's all about. We are to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when someone says yes to Jesus, we don't just say, thank you, have a nice day. No, no, no. We pull them in close and it's discipleship. It's teaching them the complete Word of God. And then it's equipping them and helping them so that they can serve in what? Ministry. Meeting the needs of other people. And guess what? If they're in ministry meeting the needs of other people, guess what they're going to have the opportunity to do? Evangelize. Oh my goodness. It starts all over. Evangelism. Discipleship. Ministry. Guess what? Evangelism. Discipleship, ministry. Are you tired of me saying that yet? I'm going to say it again before the night's over. Evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. Could you hear me in the back, Jerry? What did I say? Say it again. Evangelism, discipleship, ministry. Okay, you got it. Just make sure where you the pastor paying attention back So those kids all, you know, they need distractions too. I got to focus. That's what I'm talking about. So, as we continue to move forward, we also see something else about biblical leaders in the church. Unity. Look at these goals. There are three of them. Unity in the faith, knowledge of Jesus Christ, and maturity of the believers. That is the work of leadership in the church. If you are a spiritual leader in the church, if God has called you and raised you up as a leader in the church, you got to know these things. God wants me to be a vessel of unity in this church. God wants me to, to know Jesus Christ and to make Jesus Christ known to the church. And God wants me to mature in my faith, but He also wants to use me as a leader, as a vessel, to help other people mature in their faith. So again, you see how that works? Unity in the faith, knowledge of Jesus, and maturity of the believer. Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck. This is the book that I've been showing you last week. A bunch of you I got this book uh, thanks to a generous church member who bought these. This is an excellent book on leadership. But let me tell you what he says. Uh, Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck said this. To be a healthy church, the church must equip the believers. A healthy church is not a perfect church, but she is a church that is being collectively formed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? A healthy church is a church that is equipping its people. Right? It doesn't mean she's perfect because there is no perfect church. You want to know why? Because there ain't a perfect pastor in this world. And there ain't a perfect deacon in this world. And there ain't a perfect teacher in this world. And I hate to tell you this, but there ain't a perfect church member in this world either. Okay? So there ain't a perfect church. 
But there can be a church who's growing in unity. Right? Unity in the faith. Who's growing in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. And who is maturing as believers. And so we can be a church, right, that is growing together. Not perfect, but growing together to be more like Christ. And Christ is perfect. Amen? Amen. So, they go on to say this, okay? This is, this is pretty interesting. They go on to say this in their book, Designed to Lead. Pastors are not more holy, no matter what you think. Pastors are not more loved, no matter what you think. Nor are they in better standing with God, no matter what you think. Let me say it again. Pastors are not more holy, they are not more loved, and they are not in better standing with God. They are not divided from the people of God. Rather, they have a distinct office from God. Does that make sense? Right? Yes, I'm your pastor. I'm your pastor. God has called me to be your pastor. But just because He called me to be your pastor doesn't mean I'm better than you. It doesn't mean I'm more loved by God than you. It doesn't mean that. That's not what that means. It just means He has set me apart. He has given me a distinctive leadership position in the Bible. And so I love what they say there. And they go on and say this. The Lord has given them to the church so that they may equip and prepare the people for ministry. And by the way, all believers are ministers. Ooh, that's pretty powerful, right? All believers are ministers, even though all believers are not called to be pastors. Part of my job as a pastor is to minister. But here's the thing. You ain't got to have a title of pastor to minister. I'm clear on that? So everybody in this room is a minister. Everybody. If you know Jesus Christ, you've been given the gift of ministry. You can tell somebody else about the Jesus who saved you. You can tell somebody else about the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what ministry is. Meeting the needs of people. And you know what the greatest need of people is? Spiritual. Not physical. Spiritual. That's the greatest need. And so, pastors aren't divided from their church. They're just distinct from other members of the church because of the office that they've been called to. Now, I want to go to 1 Peter. This is such a good pastor. Talking about pastors. passage that talks about pastors. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. Now, in the Bible, before we get there, in the Bible, you're going to see terms like elders, overseers and pastors. For all intents and purposes, those three positions of leadership, those offices, are really the same. The elders and pastors and overseers, and some versions will even use the word bishop. Okay, That all means pretty much the same thing. Okay, So I just want to make sure you understand if yours says elder, yours says overseer, yours says pastor, it's the same thing. So, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. To the elders among you, talking to the pastors, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Verse 2. He's talking to pastors, elders. Here's what he says to them. Verse 2. Be shepherds. Don't miss that. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to, what's that word? Serve. Serve. Wow, that's a big word. Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, in my Bible, that's capitalized, right? So that means there's only one. You know who that is? That's Jesus Christ. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. What an awesome passage of Scripture that tells us who the pastor is and what he's supposed to do. Are you ready? 
Here it is. A pastor is the under-shepherd of God's flock and is an example to God's flock. Who is the pastor? He is the under-shepherd and he is an example. Being an under-shepherd means that the pastor is under the lordship of the chief shepherd. Right? So here's the thing. I'm not the head shepherd of this church. I am the under-shepherd of this church. The chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. This is His church. You and I, we belong to Him. And so the under-shepherd means under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's why I've said all along, and I'm going to say it again tonight, a good biblical leader will always be a good follower. If you ever stop following Jesus Christ, you are not a biblical leader. You must keep your eyes on Jesus, and you must walk as Jesus walked. By the way, that's not me, that's Scripture. Go look it up in 1 John. You must walk as Jesus walked. You must live as Jesus lived. And the only way to do that is to see Him, hear Him, and follow Him. So if you want to be a biblical leader, you must always be a follower of Jesus Christ. Being an example, right? It says be an example to the flock. Being an example means that a biblical leader does more than talk about service. A biblical leader actually serves. It's not just, hey, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. It's, hey, let's do this together. Follow me. right? Follow me as I serve. Do as I am doing. Serve. It's not, you do this, you do that, and sit back and watch. No. The under-shepherd gets in there and serves as well. Uh, another book that I love, and you can even see I've got marks all in it, and I've got writing all in it too. O.S. Hawkins, great pastor, wrote a book called Pastor's Primer. Okay? It's basically saying, hey, pastor, don't forget, don't forget you've been called by God, and don't forget you've been called by God to serve. Right? And so this is a great book. So Pastor O.S. Hawkins says in his book, Pastor's Primer, that the pastor is called in three ways by God. Number one, a pastor is called to be the spiritual leader. A pastor is called to be the spiritual leader of the church. The term uh, he uses in the original Greek language, Paul, that term elder, it actually means a mature man of faith. And don't miss this. It's not mature as in age. It's mature in faith. Because you can be old. You can be old in years and have very little or no faith. You can be very young in years but have a whole lot of faith. Okay? It's to be mature in faith. That's what the term elder means. Uh, again, it's a spiritual calling. God calls the pastor to be the spiritual leader of the church. Not only that, number two, what he says in his book, he says a pastor is called to be the servant leader. In other, one, in other words, he is the one who is out front with service. Matter of fact, all we got to do is look at Jesus. Amen? Amen? What did Jesus do with His disciples? He washed their feet. And after He washed their feet, He says, Now you do as I have done to you. Right? Matter of fact, in the book of John, John chapter 13, He said, A new command I give you. Right? Love one another. And he, he prefaces it with this. As I have loved you, you also must love one another. In other words, Jesus is not going to say, do this and do that. Jesus has already done it. He's already done it. He's already done it. And so the pastor is called to be a leader in service, a servant leader. And again, the Greek word used here by Paul for shepherd, it means one who cares for a flock, feeds a flock leads a flock and protects a flock. Pastor Hawkins says in his book that this concept of a servant nature of the under-shepherd is found in other places in the Bible, meaning an under-rower. So under-shepherd means under-rower. Listen to this. It refers to a slave who would sit down in the belly of Greek ships chained to the oars and they would row through the rough waters of the sea. So that term under shepherd, 
It has, it has all kinds of implications of serving, right? An under-roman, one who serves, one who works. And so I love this, right? On number three, a pastor is called to be the senior leader. And again, why does Pastor O.S. Hawkins say that in his book? It's because of the Greek word that Paul uses for overseer. An overseer. One who is watchful and one who manages. And so three ways the pastor is called to be the spiritual leader of the church, to be the servant leader of the church, and to be the senior leader of the church. He goes on and he says this in 2 Timothy. Oh, this is so good. I'm going to read, actually I'm going to read two passages. I'm going to read them back to back. Uh, you can just follow right along. It's the tail end of chapter 3, 2 Timothy, and then it's 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to what it says, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 3. This is Paul talking to Timothy, the pastor of a church. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. All Scripture. All Scripture. How much? All, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for this. Listen to what it's useful for. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? Verse 17 says why? So that the what? Servant of God may be thoroughly... What's that word? Equipped, thoroughly equipped to do what? Every good work. Every good work. He goes on and look at what he says in the first five verses of chapter 4. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Look at verse 2. What's the first three words? Preach the Word. I think we saw that in the book of Acts, didn't we? Preach the Gospel. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. It doesn't just say correct, rebuke, and encourage. It says to correct, rebuke, and encourage with what? With great patience and careful instruction. Verse 3. For the time will come. Why does that need to happen? Because of verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and aside to myths. But you, preacher, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Woo! I'm going to tell you, we got way too many preachers preaching politics and preaching their opinions in the pulpit. And they need to stop. Because I have not been called to preach politics or my opinion. I've been called to preach the Word of God. And that's it. He didn't say, Jeff, and give them this or give them that. As a matter of fact, you hear me say it all the time. My prayer is that when you walk out of this door, if it wasn't what God said, you already forgot. That's my prayer. You already forgot. But if it was God's Word, you heard it and you held on to it. And I will say that until the day I die. I, I hope that if I say something that is not what God's Word says and is right, that you don't even hear it. That you don't remember it specifically. Right? That it only be God's Word. Because here's the truth. A pastor's highest calling, highest calling is to preach the Word. It's not to make X amount of visits. It's not to, to do this or do that because the Constitution of the Bylaws said the highest calling of the pastor is to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. That is the highest calling. If anything ever comes above that, you're in trouble as a church Bible. It's got to be the Word of God, which is God breathed. Right? Not Jeff breathed. Not Paul breathed. God breathed. So what? 
So that the servants of God are what? What's the word? Equipped. Equipped. We've heard that all night long and we don't keep hearing. So that the servants of God are equipped for good works. Again, in his book, Pastor Primer, O.S. Hawkins says, Proclamation, the preaching of the gospel, should be the central to Christian worship in the church. Preaching is not only a high calling, but it is also a great privilege. Pastor John MacArthur, there's another book which I didn't bring it with me, but Pastor John MacArthur says in his book, Pastoral Ministry, merely proclaiming the word is not enough either. The pastor must proclaim with his mouth and his life. Yikes. That is so good, but that is so scary too. Because sometimes it's real easy for me to spit it out of my mouth. And it's real hard for me to put my feet on the ground and to put my hands in action. Right? He said, hey, proclamation is not just your mouth. It's your life. You have to live it out loud. kind of goes with what James says, right? I may not have put this on your handout, so write it down. James chapter 1, verse 22, you know what it says. It says, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. What does it say? Do what it says. And guess what? Your pastor has to lead in that. Your pastor can't just be someone in the pulpit that says, this is what God says, go do it. And then fold his arms and watch. Your pastor should already be practicing what he's preaching. You want to know how to pray for me? Pray for that. Pray for that. Pray that your pastor is already practicing what he's going to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Not just talking about it, but already living it out loud. Can the pastor do more? Sure. Should the pastor do more? Sure. I would say yes to that. The pastor can do more, should do more, as the Holy Spirit of God leads that body of Christ. It'll look a little different from congregation to congregation. I'm going to tell you something. Star Baptist Church has been called to be Star Baptist Church in Star Louisiana. Star Baptist Church hasn't been called to be North Monroe in Star or to be First Baptist Wrangell in Star. No, Star Baptist Church has been called to be Star Baptist Church in Star. And, and that's the way it is for every church. Every church should function the way the Lord wants it to function in that community. I'll tell you what never changes. The message. The message don't change for this church or that church. Or it shouldn't. The methods might look a little different. Right? The methods might look a little different. We don't, we're not cookie-cutter churches. Right? It's not going to happen that way. But I'm going to tell you, the primary job for the preacher, the pastor, is to preach the Word of God. To be the under-shepherd of the church. To be an example to the church. He's, a call, he's called to equip God's people so that they can serve in God's kingdom. I can say a whole lot more about the pastor, but i got to talk about my deacons. Matter of fact, if you are a uh, if you're a current deacon serving tonight, I want you to come here for a, for a second. And I also want my two new deacons to come here too. Um, Greg and I think John's probably working, he working down, down there. Probably. I'll see. I want each one of you to come up here right now, and I want your church family to see you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you got it too fast. Hey, listen, these are men. These are men who I believe, first and foremost, have been called by God to lead in the church. Okay? But they've also been called by you, the church body. They've been, they've been elected by you, the church body, to serve. And so each one of these men, they are servant leaders. That's what they are. Servant leaders, just like the pastor. So what I want to do tonight on behalf of you, the church body, and as their pastor, I want to present them a book because I'm fixing to use some of this in my message tonight. This is an incredible book. It's called Deacons, Servant Models in the Church by Dr. Henry Webb. It's one of it's an incredible book. So I want to give each one of your deacons a copy of this book. I also want you to look at them right now. Right? These are the guys you should be praying for daily. Praying for daily that God would fill them with His Spirit and God would fill him with His wisdom. So right now, before I go any further, let's pray over our deacons. Father God, we love you. We thank you for these deacons that you have, have called out. That God, you have raised up in this church 
as servant leaders in this church. Thank you for this church body calling them and embracing them, electing them to serve in such a way. God, thank you for the prayers that have gone up for, for these men, their families, their service. And God, we want to continue that. We don't take them for granted. I pray we never take them for granted. God, the prayers, the insight, the wisdom, the spirit that you've given them, uh, God, to bring unity into this body, to bring unity into this community. Thank you, God, that they are vessels of your grace, your love, and your mercy. And God, we as a church, we love you, and we thank you for them. We love them. And we pray, God, that you will not only bless them, but make them a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Y'all may sit down again. And so as we talk about these deacons, I want to read a passage that I've already read to you. Matter of fact, I read this a few weeks ago uh, in our series in the book of Acts. But I want you to look at it. Okay? Who are the deacons? What do the deacons do? We've already looked at it. Who are the pastors? What do they do? Who are the deacons? What do they do? Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Another pastor you hear me talk about all the time because I, I love him. I believe he preaches the Word of God and he's just got so much wisdom is Dr. Tony Evans. Listen to what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says the goal of the church is not merely for people to become Christians but for people to be, to be developed into fully committed disciples. He goes on to say that many theologians describe this first selection in Acts chapter 6 as deacons who serve the physical needs of God's people so that the apostles and the elders can serve their spiritual needs. That's what Dr. Tony Evans says. So what do we see about a deacon? Number one, a deacon helps the pastor by serving God's flock. That's what a deacon does. A deacon is on the same team and on the same page with the same mission. Evangelism. What's next? Oh, somebody's listening. Discipleship. So that they can do what? Minister. Ooh, I like it. Right? Deacons help the pastors by serving God's flock. And we want the church to be all about evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. Deacons are servant leaders in the church. The Greek word diakonos, it means one who serves. And so they lead others by serving others. Not only that, we see in this passage that a deacon is to be full of the Spirit. You see that? Full of the Spirit. Notice in Acts 6, right? These servants were already full of the Spirit. They were already full of the Spirit. It didn't say look around and find someone that might be a good candidate to be filled with the Spirit. No, it says ones who are already full of the Spirit. And the same thing, a deacon is to be full of wisdom. And again, it's not one that might get wise one day. It's one who is already wise. One who is already full of God's wisdom. Henry Webb, and that's the book that I just gave our deacons, it's called Deacons, Servant Models in the Church. Pastor Henry Webb says this. He says a deacon is to be full of the Spirit. The experience of a deacon's growth in experiencing God's presence is a life of wisdom. God gives wisdom to those who are close to Him. So Dr. Henry Webb in his book says to be full of the Spirit is to be able to be full of wisdom. But if you're not full of the Spirit, guess what you ain't going to be full of? Wisdom. It just don't work that way. It don't work that way. If you're not full of the Spirit, which means the continuous presence of God in you, then you can forget the wisdom. But boy, if you're abiding in Him and He's abiding in you, 
You know what James says? James says you can ask for wisdom. And guess what God's going to do? He's going to generously give you wisdom without finding fault. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a good promise. That's a great promise. God will give you wisdom. But you've got to be full of the Spirit. He says this. He says God gives wisdom to those who are close to Him. God's gift of wisdom includes not only factual knowledge and experience, but also discernment and insight. Did you hear that? Being full of the Spirit and being full of God's wisdom, that means God gives you the ability to discern, spiritual discernment, to know right from wrong, to know when to move and when to be still, to know what to say, when to say and how to say it. We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights. And so I love what, what Dr. Henry Webb says in his book, with both the pastor and the deacon, we can find what we call qualifications of these offices. And I'm not going to read all this tonight because you know where it's at and we've covered this before, but you can go back and look at it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. through You'll find the qualifications of a pastor, an elder, an overseer. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8-13, through you'll see the qualifications for a deacon. We also see the qualifications of a pastor. And I don't know if I put this on your hand, but I hope I did, but if not, you can write it down. Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, you'll see many of those same qualities that you see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But I love this. Again, listen to what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, These are not descriptions of performance, but of character. So when you read the qualifications of a pastor and you read the qualifications of of a deacon. Listen to what he says. They're not descriptions of performance. They're descriptions of character. Right? Character. One of the main differences that we see between the office of a pastor and the office of a deacon is that nowhere in Scripture does it say that deacons are required to teach. If you look at it, that is not a requirement for a deacon. Now, does that mean deacons can't teach? No. It doesn't say that. It just doesn't list teaching as a requirement for deacons like it does for pastors and elders and overseers. Uh, another thing I'll tell you too, and this is so good, it was, it's so good I put it on your hand out. This, we need to understand this. Look at what Dr. Henry Webb says. He says no one, how many? No one. No one can meet every qualification completely. But... Deacons should give evidence of progress toward the ideal. The key test is a person's present and continuing behavior. Present and continuing behavior. In other words, it's not about my performance, it's about my character. But guess what my character will do? My character will be lived out loud. You'll be able to see it. I will be able to demonstrate my character to you. Am I perfect? No. Even though Marty is back here saying amen. Oh. You heard the same thing I heard. Silence. Anyway, like, am I perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. Is there a perfect deacon? No. And there won't ever be one. But here's the thing we have an ideal, we have a standard. And we must strive. We must strive for that standard. We must strive for that ideal. And here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to make God's Word say what we want it to say. That's not what we want it to do. Because I'm going to tell you, God's Word don't change. No matter how Jeff wants to change it or you want to change it, God's Word don't change. Okay? We can't stretch it this way or stretch it that way or erase this thing or erase that thing. No, it's, it's what God's Word says. The standard is high. The ideal is incredible. And so what we do is we strive for it. So as far as offices in the church, the Bible clearly gives us two offices. The office of the pastor and the office of the deacon. However, as Paul told us in Corinthians and Ephesians and other letters, each part of the body is equipped and enabled to do what? 
serve, to work. One of those areas of service, one of those positions of service, is teacher. And so I'm only going to read you a couple of verses. A couple of verses. Right? There's a lot in the Bible, and I'm only going to read you a couple. I'm going to start with James chapter 3. This is pretty daunting, by the way, because I have people all the time say, Oh, I want to teach. Oh, I want to teach. I want to teach. And then I read them this verse, and they go, I'll get back to you on that. James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I'm going to be honest with you. I wish it, did, I wish it said something a little, a little softer. But it doesn't say that. You want to know something? I'm going to be held accountable to God for every sermon I've ever preached at Star Baptist Church on a standard that is way high. That's kind of scary. Okay? But God. Jesus Christ. Right? God's grace covers me. That doesn't mean I water down. Right? That means I strive. I strive to preach the truth of God's Word, all of it, cover to cover. Right? Why? Because I know that He's going to judge me more strictly. I know that. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And I just told you, who's perfect? Nobody except for one person. Who's that? Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's perfect. I love again what Dr. David Jeremiah says. He says it so well that I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to, try to change it. I'm just going to tell you what he said. Here's what he says. James reminds teachers that greater knowledge brings greater responsibility. Greater knowledge brings greater responsibility. I'm going to tell you, if God has called you and God is leading you into a teaching position, embrace it. Embrace it. I, I mean, embrace it. But understand it. Right? Understand it. Understand that in a teaching position, God is going to give you knowledge and you have to rightly divide that. You have to rightly share that. And that is an incredible call. The Greek word for teacher, it's, kind of, it's almost like uh, diakonos for deacon. The Greek word for teacher is diaskelos. And that means one who instructs. One who instructs. So think about this for just a minute. It's not just your words... Right? It's your actions. A teacher doesn't just sit in a chair and mouth a bunch of words. A teacher lives those words out loud. A teacher instructs. One of the best things I ever, and I don't know why um, we've gotten away from this, but I remember Miss Gloria McElroy. How many of you got taught by Miss McElroy? Woo! I'll tell you what, she was a tough English teacher, wasn't she? But I'm going to tell you what, she was one of the best I ever had. You know what she loved to do? She loved diagram. Oh, how many of you remember that diagram sentences? Every day. Every day she brought a vocabulary word, said use it in a sentence, and diagram. Right? Let me tell you what I love when I taught English. I love diagram. Right? Because I can sit there and talk about nouns and adjectives and adverbs and prepositions and all that stuff all day. But when I got up on that board and I showed it to them in a diagram, oh, it's totally different, right? Right? Because some people they need to see it. They need to see it to understand, not just hear it. A teacher is one who instructs, uses your mouth and every other thing you got, right? To actively, actively, actively teach your people. Let me let me throw another verse at you about teachers. Oh my goodness. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. These are the words of Jesus Christ. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. You think teaching is pretty important? You think it's pretty serious to Jesus? I would say it's very serious. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says that reliable people will be qualified to teach. And listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 
He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, one who correctly handles the word of truth. Let me tell you the last thing about the teacher that I want you to know. The teacher is called to dwell in and to share the truth with others. Do you hear me? The teacher is called to dwell in and to share the truth with others. And at times, you know what else? Admonish others. Now that word admonish is huge. You know what it means? It means to correct. It means to rebuke. It means to encourage. It means to enlighten. Oh man, the teacher's got a great responsibility, right? It ain't all funny games. It ain't all, you know, fun day outside with the water slide and stuff. Sometimes it's in the classroom and sometimes you you got to discipline. Sometimes you got to say truth in love and, and it hurts. So the teacher is called to dwell in and to share the truth with others and at times to admonish others, but always with gratitude for God. And you're going, Brother Jeff, did you just make that up? Nope. I wish I did. But I didn't. You know who said it? God. Colossians 3.16. You know what it says? It says that the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you do what? Teach and admonish one another. How? With wisdom. Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with what in your heart? Gratitude. Not my words. These are God's words. Let me give you one more thing about biblical leaders. I'm going to wrap it up. Pastors, deacons, and teachers. And I would say anybody. Anybody who's been called to a leadership position. Biblical leaders are always intentional. Intentional. Biblical leaders don't bump into good stuff. Right? Biblical leaders don't just accidentally have something good happen. They're intentional. Biblical leaders are always intentional. What are they intentional with? Here we go. They're intentional with their time. I don't know about you, but my time matters. Like, like I pretty much, when I come to my office, I kind of got a schedule. I like the way I do things. A lot of it is reading that Bible. A lot of it is praying and studying in that Word, and that Word in me. Right? I'm intentional with my time. I'll tell you what else. I'm intentional with my energy. I'm intentional with my, I get excited. I don't know about y'all, but I get excited when it comes to the Word of God. I get excited about church. Do y'all know that? Right? I mean, I'm not going to lose my voice here and you're thinking, I wish you would so we can go home. But God has blessed me with the voice, so I'm going to keep using it. Intentional with their time. Intentional with their energy. Intentional with their words. Right? Intentional with their words. They use words the right way, the right tone, the right time. They're intentional with their thoughts. And they're intentional with their lives. And it's all for God's glory. I wish I could take credit for that, but I can't. Um, uh, in my running that I do, I have some coaches that I listen to. And one of the coaches that, that is on the podcast when I'm running, he said, hey, you need to go read this article from The Daily Coach. So I don't even know the guy who wrote this. I just got it from The Daily Coach. It's a website. And that's where I got this. Biblical leaders are intentional. They're intentional. They're intentional with every part of their lives. And to wrap it all up, right? Let's go backwards. Biblical leadership is always about what? Glorifying God, right? Biblical leadership is always about what? Glorifying God. And biblical leaders are always going to be what kind of leaders? Loving servants. Servant leaders. Loving servants. If you remember nothing else, remember those two things. Biblical leadership, always about glorifying God. Biblical leaders, always loving service. And biblical offices, since we talked about offices tonight, the office of the pastor, the office of the deacon, and biblical positions like teachers that are in the body, don't forget why they have been given to the church. They have been given for the equipping and the edification. That means the building up of the body. Why? so that God might be glorified. Here's what I want us to know. All of these deacons that came and stood up tonight, if you're a Sunday school teacher in here tonight, if you're a ministry team leader tonight, if you're a ministry team member tonight, I'm going to tell you something. 
if you're a late member in here tonight, maybe you don't have a position, okay? I'm going to tell you what. You have a part. You have a part. Whether you're the hand, the foot, the nose, the ear, the eye, the mouth, whatever you are, right? we got to be on the same page with this. Star Baptist Church must be about evangelism. We've got to tell other people about Jesus before it's too late. Star Baptist Church has to be about discipleship. And the only way discipleship is going to happen is if spiritual leaders are intentional. When someone gets saved, we've got to wrap our arms around them. We've got to plug them in. Sunday school, men's ministry, women's ministry, student ministry. We've got to plug them in so that they are continuously hearing the Word of God and they're continuously seeing, seeing servant leaders. Do what? Serve. We've got to be about evangelism. We've got to be about discipleship. And we've got to be about ministry. As good as this food is tonight, right? As comfortable as this area is tonight, as comfortable as it is sitting in those chairs tonight, we got to get outside of this building. And we got to love on people. We got to love on people where they are. We, we got to feed people out there spiritually. Because I'm going to tell you, the world ain't going to do it. TV ain't going to do it. Government ain't going to do it. The church has been called to do it. That's biblical leadership. Now, there's a whole lot more. I, I, I didn't exhaust this. I only brought it to our attention. And so I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm leaving a whole lot out. But you know what? Put your eyes in that in that bird and you read and see what God says to you. Maybe we'll come back to this down the road. And I'm so thankful that we've had an opportunity over these last 10 or 12 weeks, right, to understand what biblical leadership's all about. It's all about glorifying God. And biblical leaders are always what? Loving servants. Man, if we'll just get those two things right, how different, how different would our church be? How different would our community be? It ain't about me. It ain't about my name on the wall. It ain't about me standing up and everybody clapping for me. It's all about Him. Always will be. Always should be. Right? And it's about your needs. And your needs. And His needs. And her needs. Not mine. It's always about others. If we'll have that kind of focus, look out. Look out, see what God's going to do. Amen?